I'm picturing you using one of those things the whole time you're asking me questions, and at the end, it's going to spit out a game, and that game is going to be like a portrait mode shower simulator uh, with uh, Mario in it or something. That that would be um, really impressive, and you've given me an idea. You're listening to Level Up with Melissa Zalou. So today on the show, we have Warren Woodward from Nexon, uh, the San Francisco branch of Korea's biggest gaming company. Warren, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure, Melissa. Thanks for having me. So let's maybe kick off with you just to kind of looking at your personal story. Today, you're the UA director at Nexon, um, and you've been in gaming for a few years, but you were a video editor back in the day. Um, What pushed you to leave the video world and, and move into gaming? Yeah, so after spending a few years uh, really selling other people's products uh, in a profitable way for them, um, I got the bug to actually be doing this for products that I owned and that I was passionate about. And I've always been a huge nerd, huge gamer. um, And I wanted to to see if I could do this in the gaming industry. So I actually, I reached out to a small uh, new gaming company in Seattle at the time called Dropforge Games Mm -hmm. that were making, um, they they had made a game that I really liked. Uh, They were bringing it to mobile. And I just wrote them a letter and and just a cold call email one night. And it's just like, hey, I love the game that you're working on. Um, This is what I do. Uh, This is why I think I'd be a good match with you guys. What do you think about me moving up to Seattle? and uh, doing user acquisition for you. Wow, and, and it, and it, it was, worked? Yeah, it was, it was just a shot in the dark. Um, and I remember like waking my wife up and being like, hey, I'm gonna like email this company in Seattle and see if uh, they're cool with me moving up there and, and working for them. Would you do that? And she was kind of half asleep and she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, just do it. And <laughs> so that ended up um, working out very well. Uh, and so I joined this company, Dropforge, and um, uh, this was 2014, I believe. Um, worked in Seattle in the gaming industry for a couple of years uh, for a couple of different companies. And then um, got the offer last year to come down to uh, Emeryville, California, just outside of San Francisco, and uh, lead the UA team here at uh, Nexon. Um, so, yeah, we have a team of uh, seven people now. Um, launched about a dozen games uh, in the last 12 months and uh, lots of exciting things ahead. Very cool. So um, you essentially sort of, you you said you were a gamer. Um, Do you think you have to be a gamer to work in gaming? Uh, It definitely helps. Um, It helps to be excited about coming to work every day and Mm -hmm. to have things that you can bond with your team about and to uh, be willing to dive into the products and learn a lot about them. Um, definitely helps with your product expertise, but you know, I definitely don't think it's the case. Uh, we've brought in a lot of good people on my team and other teams here that come from outside the industry. And you know, my my whole time before this was doing performance marketing for products that I, I wasn't passionate about, didn't really know anything about the verticals. So it's it's definitely not necessary, but it keeps the day more interesting. Right. You've also said somewhere that your passion is combining art, data, and psychology to create great marketing campaigns. And full disclosure. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm quoting from your LinkedIn bio, which I think is awesome. Uh, That's no secret. Do you think there's a psychology of user acquisition? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a communication discipline um, in a large part at the end of the day. Uh, There is a tendency in user acquisition to build teams mostly from people with mathematics or data or finance backgrounds. Right. And that's obviously a huge part of it. But at the end of the day, you know, we are doing marketing, we're doing advertising. 
and you have to still have um, the the creative skills and soft skills um, within your team. You know, obviously, not every person maxes out on every skill, uh, right. but you you need to be able to understand messaging and what's going to connect with people, um, what will turn them off, and uh, that's a huge part of it. Right. Do you think that kind of do you lean more heavily towards the? I mean, in terms of your background, you're covering both. Um, the sort of the, the harder data side of things with with a lot of performance marketing, but then also the creative side, um, both sort of like in making independent films um, and and in and in music. Do you lean more heavily to the creative side when you're kind of approaching a new a, a strat- user acquisition strategy, or is it equally kind of is there an equal share for for data and and creative? It's it's definitely more my comfort zone and my background. Um, I probably sell myself short on math skills, but honestly, I've taken one math class post high school, and it was just to to graduate state college. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I definitely don't have like the math chops of some of the awesome uh, people on my team. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been good with just like napkin math and kind of quickly looking at data and and telling the story from it. Um, right, but. But when I joined Nexon, I told them right up front, like, if you want the person with, like, the, you know, the ability to write, like, the fanciest SQL query or the most mm. in-depth analysis, I'm not your guy. But they, uh, luckily, the team here, it's a very complementary set of skills. So we have some people with finance background, some people with analytics background, uh, and some people with marketing background. And uh, there's a good atmosphere of mutual respect on the team and kind of mm. everyone helping out with their, their strengths. So it all comes together. Interesting. Um, do you think you've seen the the role of a UA manager change over time? Kind of, or, or, or certainly you can. We can even talk about kind of performance marketing in general. Um, how has that evolved since you first started getting getting into the industry? Yeah, I think it's still um, a relatively young discipline. Um, I, it's only really in the last uh, two three years that I've heard the industry at large really start valuing creative and understanding Mm -hmm. that that's sort of like the the laziest and lowest cost way to move the needle in a really meaningful way. Right. Um, Yeah. As as I alluded to, I think in the uh, first couple of years of user acquisition being a discipline, it was primarily looked at as a data and analytics type of discipline. Um, And what it's evolved to is, you know, essentially replacing a traditional advertising team. Um, right. Marketing and traditional marketing is still a huge part of the games industry. And I'm not I'm not selling that short in any way. Um, but specifically, I'm talking to like, you know, your paid advertising team that would yeah. be managing the media spend. And I think that user acquisition has fully arrived is just the replacement for that. That's more cost efficient where you know where your money is going and you know what actually produced results. Um, so why would you need that more traditional uh, advertising arm? Obviously, in times with launching a game or any kind of product, there are still um, uh, what we would call like more brand focused uh, elements of of the Mm -hmm. plan. And that's definitely handled by our marketing team. But as far as uh, the advertising you want to actually bring your users into the game, if you can tell exactly where your money's going and how how it's performing, why would you want it any other way? Right. It's difficult to argue with that. Uh, I mean, I, I did actually want to kind of touch on the dynamic between brand marketing and 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 kind of paid user acquisition, because Nexon has quite a, a robust kind of marketing infrastructure with, with a lot of different kind of teams involved. How do you sort of, how does that, how does your, your work on the UA side kind of fit into a larger strategy around launching a game that includes kind of brand marketing 
which doesn't have the same kind of easy, easily tracked ROI. Yeah, I think an important uh, role of a brand marketing or a Nexon, we, it's the, called the product marketing team, um, is establishing like the story and the vision for how we're going to bring this game to customers. Like, what are the what, what's the story behind the the game? Like, what are the unique selling propositions uh, to to the player? And how do we tie this all together so there's consistency between our, our different efforts? Like, that's still a very real part of. Uh, part of the equation, um, mm-hmm. as well as like the outreach within the industry. So working with the the platforms, Apple and Google, to tell them about our game, to figure out uh, partnerships that make sense for for launching the game. Um, and we definitely work, I mean, I, I sit uh, literally next to uh, the, the person who heads up that part of our business, and we work very closely together. But I, I think user acquisition is a lot more um, reactive, whereas uh, brand marketing is... Um, a little more, I guess I would call it visionary, for lack of a better word. Um, right, like I, I hear that. It, yeah, often taking the blank slate and trying to um, put those you know, initial ideas out there, put the good, good fuel in uh, the marketing machine and the user acquisition machine. And you know, hopefully working with the brand marketing team and the creative team, we develop uh, a robust set of, of ads and messaging and then our team, you know, takes it to the marketplace. We buy inventory everywhere, and we see which of those things uh, and those messages, those videos, work. And then we start the feedback loop, where we start right. coming to the, the other marketing teams with data, and we're saying like, "Hey, here's what's performing. This is working. This is not working. Uh, why don't we explore more messaging or more pieces of content in this realm?" Um, and then we provide that feedback loop, um, where the marketing team and creative team can can start brainstorming their uh, next deliverables. Right. It's kind of a, an ideal situation in a way because brand marketing, brand advertising is very difficult to kind of quantify um, and then also to kind of get feedback on. Um, the metrics are much looser if they exist at all. But to be able to kind of plug that in or to, to have that form the basis then of a, of a kind of more direct campaign and then leverage the, the data that comes out of that is, is sort of ideal. Yeah. And I think a good uh, snapshot of um, maybe the the extremes is is when you think about uh, a, a trailer for in the, in the console world. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people that are coming from console backgrounds, and that's all about you know maybe you have a, a million dollar budget for the uh, for your video content to launch a game. So you make this million dollar trailer. You you go with the best agency and director and creative people. You spend months making it perfect, fine-tuning everything. You have beautiful animation or maybe actors in it. Uh, you go through revisions, and then you have this final, hopefully perfect trailer. And <laughs> yeah. you bring that to market, and it looks great, but it's your one shot on goal. Whereas right. a, a team that maybe only had the, the UA approach would, would take that bu- budget, divide it into you know 30, and make 30 different lower-budget pieces and test all those and see what worked the best. Neither of these approaches is really ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obviously, from user acquisition, we have we have a bias to get a lot of data points. But if you never invest in that um, in those higher end pieces of content that really showcase the project or make a big splash, you're mm-hmm. selling yourself short for maybe finding the best performing creative. So here at Nexon, it's definitely. Um, a give and take between like taking a lot of shots in goal and then taking those really big swings with um, beautiful uh, advertising and, and creative that we really invest in and fine tune. Right. Um, 
I, I sort of I want to talk about soft launching because I know you have kind of lots of, of insight to share there. But kind of before we get there, um, it, it's interesting to note you founded two of your own companies, Handsomest Media and Genomics. Yeah, good right? research. So um, yeah, I guess che- cheating a little bit because Handsomest Media was basically just me working on my own uh, with my own agency. Uh, how do you feed that kind of that entrepreneurial bug um, now, kind of working inside a, a much larger company? That's a good question. I, I always thought that I would really hate working for a large company and I, really working uh, at Nexon right now is the most I've, I've probably ever enjoyed a job. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I think it's because we're constantly making things. It feels like we're always, uh, we're always creating, we're always launching new products, mm-hmm. um, but we also have the resources to do it in the right way. Properly. So it, yeah, yeah. It definitely never feels routine here. There's always a new right. challenge, a new game. Um, and right, you we, you guys, yeah. you have a lot. You have a lot of. I mean, you're you're kind of releasing things at, at quite a, a steady clip. Yes. How how often, or sort of, let's looking at a, an average quarter or, or even month. How often are you releasing new games? Yeah, so uh, definitely our. If you graphed the pace that we're releasing games over time, it's definitely gotten faster and faster each each month. Um, but I would say for the last twelve months, it's it probably averages out to about a game a month. But it's it's really uh, condensed oh. in Q two and Q three. So there's probably two two games a month for for those quarters. Wow! And how kind of far in advance are you planning the the launch strategy for each game? Ideally, we start planning. Uh, well, I, I'll have to deviate a little bit to to talk about like the ways that we get games at Nexon. Mm-hmm. So. Nexon is both a developer and a publisher. So that means we, we make games, uh, and we'll know about those sometimes years in advance and start uh, planting the seeds for the, uh, the launch or at least marketing uh, explorations for those. Um, but at the same time, uh, we're also in the business of uh, signing pub- promising games to publishing deals. Uh, uh-huh. We did this with a game called uh, Battlejack, developed out of uh, Helsinki this year, where the game was already done when we signed it, so it was ready to go to market. So it, it, it's everything from uh, several years to um, a couple of weeks uh, in oh, the wow. most extreme situations from um, we learn about the game to we start bringing it to market. And do you kind of have, is there sort of like a template for what that go-to-market strategy might be like, or does it sort of vary quite widely from game to game? Yeah, good question. So part of how we've had to flex in order to um, launch this many games is build a system uh, for soft launching a lot of games in a, a clean and consistent way um, to understand which of those should actually go to market. And I should probably mm-hmm. clarify, when I say that we launched a dozen games in the last 12 months, um, I mean, we soft launched a dozen games. Um, of those, uh, we'll see, uh, expect maybe uh, two to three to actually graduate and, and prove themselves out in the soft launch that this game has what it takes to bring to market, to fully invest uh, a launch spend behind and invest months to years of upcoming support for it. Wow. So kind of there's, it, you're very comfortable kind of making that uh, non-unsentimental decision that says, okay, we're going to cut the cord. This game doesn't have kind of the, the LTV necessary to support long-term or sustain long-term life. Yeah, it's never an easy decision because uh, our our team is more of a portfolio-based team where we're just looking at every game coming through the pipeline and seeing 
which are the best games for Nexon, which are the ones we should be investing behind. Um, but the nature of building a game, there's a whole large team assigned just working on that game. So they're living and breathing that particular title. So it can be a really tough decision and a tough conversation. And I shouldn't position that this is like wholly a decision of the UA team. It's definitely all of the leadership and disciplines coming together to decide right. this. But yeah, it can be quite painful if you're just working on a game, on a single game, and uh, you know the other teams are coming and saying, hey, this game doesn't have what it takes. We don't think we should launch it. From our perspective, I always you know thank the other teams and, and give them a lot of respect when they can see beyond just the game they're working on at that moment to think about the company health and just say like, yeah, you know, we're making a lot of games. This one doesn't have what it takes. Let's realize that before we invest more money in it and move on. So thinking then of kind of smaller game studios who don't necessarily have um, huge amounts of resources, when when do you think a game company kind of reaches the tipping point where they need to have a dedicated UA person versus um, either trying to sort of hack growth with organic or, or free acquisition sources, sort of bloggers, I assume, PR um, kind of reviews. And, and when does that kind of stop being really the right move and, and you kind of need to bring someone in in-house? That's a really good question. I, I get asked this a lot. I have a lot of friends at small, small studios. Um, Definitely, at the bare minimum, you want to make sure that you have a game that you think you want to take to market. Uh, I've, I've worked with um, at least one company where I was brought in. Uh, you know, games, games shipping dates always slip, sometimes right. by months or years. And I did work at one company where I was brought in. Um, they thought they were ready to, to start soft launching, but it got kicked out over a year. Oh, wow. Um, so, were you, yeah, were you yeah. on payroll for that whole time? I was definitely doing everything I could to help with other parts of the business, but yes, they didn't need to bring wow. a UA, UA person in quite quite yet. Um, it's tricky because when it comes to growth hacking, um, particularly if it's not your core discipline, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Um, right. There's there's not uh, there's not a quick and easy way to just kind of bypass UA and get the same results and benefits from it in, in this era. Uh, right. So it's too, the industry is too competitive. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the workaround that you can do is you can outsource to a UA agency, but it's very mm -hmm. tricky because their goals are not going to be aligned to your company. The UA agency at the end of the day has one KPI driving them, which is the amount you spend on advertising. And they're going to do anything they can to increase the amount that you're spending on advertising. Right. If you compare that to an internal team, like our goal is to get the maximum result possible, spending the least, so amount, the least of amount of money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're very different approaches. Uh, I guess there's if you can afford a UA person, you should and have one, you, <laughs> and you and you have a game that's say uh, you know within three to six months of realistically going to market, I would recommend it. Um, and if not, uh, maybe try to at least get some consulting from someone who uh, has a proven track record in the industry to help advise and keep an eye on an agency that that you're using. Right, and and now maybe sort of jumping to uh, soft launches. Can you maybe sort of, a way, another way of hacking might be to say, okay, I'll handle soft launch in-house, see I've got a viable kind of, or, or maybe even just put it out in, in beta and, and see if I have a good model on my hands that can sustain user acquisition and then bring someone on. Yes, but you do still have to figure out how to get enough clean data in soft launch 
uh, to make sure that's the case. Um, and again, this is where maybe just reaching out to uh, friends at other companies or or if you know someone within the UA industry that can point you in the right direction for uh, maybe one or two strong, uh, consistent quality ad networks to use for soft launch. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have someone on your, uh, hopefully you have at least one marketing person that's that's willing to learn enough to manage uh, those one or two partners Maybe you can bring it through soft launch and you're just if you're just trying to get a couple of thousand users with some consistency, that can be a workaround and then deciding, okay, well, yeah, we're ready to bring this to market. Now let's bring in a UA expert. Right. Do you guys, how closely um, does Next, do you at Nexon work with kind of um, the, the monetization side when you're launching a game kind of to see what the, what the LTV is like and therefore kind of what you're, what you're able to spend on acquiring a user? Um, it's it's an integral part of our our model. This is this is part of why we soft launch a game. So we're we're in the business of spending our own money to convince people to download a free product. So mm-hmm. if we don't plan correctly, we are just setting our money on fire. Right. We yeah we have to um, be able to understand. Okay, if we bring our free product to the marketplace. Uh, what are the trends of spending in the game? Um, what do people spend in the first seven days, the first 30 days? How can we project this into a model of what we think they'll spend in the first 180 days or more? And mm-hmm. then that allows us, along with considering other facts like the organic uplift from from our paid users, uh, that allows us to start building a model to say, okay, well, we see that a user, average user spends uh, $5 in the game. Um, we give up uh, 30% of that to the platforms. Um, we see that each user we bring in from UA invites one other user. Uh, so mm-hmm. now we have this model where we understand that we can you know, bid, uh, I think that if I'm doing my math right, that comes out to about $7 uh, to break even um, mm-hmm. for a, a CPI when we are advertising. So let me ask a, a slightly maybe provocative question. Can you, can you ever get away without doing a soft launch? No, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. It's it's a hard way to lose money. That or it's 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 an easy way to lose money rather. So uh, if if you can't do a soft launch, I was actually answering this question for for a friend the other day that was in this position. My best advice is treat your launch like a soft launch. If mm-hmm. you um, a lot of times there's uh, immovable dates in the industry. You might have. Uh, of an agreement for uh, featuring with one of the platform partners that can't right. move, or maybe you're making something tied to a movie and mm. it's got to come out at that time. Uh, so my recommendation is treat your worldwide date like a soft launch, you know, still work with the platforms and hope you attain featuring, but don't invest your really heavy, heavy marketing spend until you get that performance read. Let the, uh, you know, make a very conservative spend in the first month, look at your organics and try to build a model off of that. And usually what I'll try to do is kick the big spend that you would normally spend in the launch month to like month three. So mm-hmm. wait until we get a bunch of users in the game, see how they play and spend over time. Uh, inevitably, there's going to be like that first big update that fixes some glaring problems uh, with any game that's rushed to market. Um, so wait until that's all done and uh, spend that money month three. And usually... Uh, even if there's some pushback of like, oh, well, we got to go big for launch. Usually people will be thanking you that you um, saved them money and found out how the game actually monetizes before you started investing that. Because nature of the budget. business, yeah, yeah, nature of the business, um, more often than not, uh, 
games perform less well than expected. I'm not speaking to Nexon games, but just the industry in general. Every game obviously mm-hmm. has high hopes uh, when it has a serious development budget. But wealth in mobile is very concentrated. There's there's a few companies right. and a few games making a large percentage of that wealth. So it's not an even slice of the pie. And when you're launching a game, you can't just you know divide the number of games on the market by uh, you know the amount of revenue and assume sure. that game's going to make that much. Yeah, there's, I mean, mobile gaming also has its own kind of one or two percent kind of that are where all the wealth is concentrated. Do you, do you think, I mean, is it, is a soft launch the right time then to also kind of be risky to say, I'm going to try traffic sources I haven't tried before, weird and wacky creatives I haven't tried before, or, or is, is actually, is, is the opposite true? Um, Number two, yes. Number one, no. So (laughs) it's a great time to experiment with creative uh, because, uh, as we alluded to earlier, if you can find a creative that is performing uh, twice as well as kind of your standard bread and butter creative that just shows some gameplay, you're going to be able to pay a CPI that's half the cost. Right. Um, I I won't go too in the weeds with the math on that there, but uh, just, just trust me, if you have a better performing creative that you will be able to bid less in the marketplace. Um, as far as experimenting with traffic sources, that's really risky, actually, um, mm. because the whole point of soft launch, above all else, uh, our team sees ourselves as providers of data to the developer, to the product team, so we can learn about the economy in the game and we can learn about the product performance. And if we um, make a risky deal for, you know, there's a company that promises us uh, 10 cent CPIs, um, mm. no if questions asked. it sounds asked. too good to be true, it probably is. It, Exactly. You know, there might be like a short term uh, hunger, like, oh, well, we can save some money on the project. And, you know, you bring in those 10 cent users and you'd see, wow, no one's no one's even finishing the first level in the game and no one's spending any money. Um, but then when you dig deeper, you realize, oh, well, th- that traffic source was completely full of fraud and it was an right. install farm. These are not real users. So a, a, a fake user is worth absolutely nothing in a, a free to play product. And right. Um, if you see CPIs that are too good to be true or just like a company guaranteeing you CPIs, it's a huge red flag that those are probably not real players. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to sort of jump quickly to talking about kind of the East meets West element in, in gaming because Nexon has a, has a parent company in, in Asia. How often are you guys sort of bringing over games that have worked in Asian markets to the US uh, and, and does it work vice versa? Yeah, definitely we do both. So um, we do more of the former because uh, Nexon Korea, our parent company, um, are generally credited as being the, the originators of free-to-play gaming. And they have right. like a vast portfolio of, of awesome games. So probably about half of what we did in last year was bringing some of their um, most promising titles to the West and handling the marketing for those outside of Asia. Um, but, you know, we're, we're a younger company here. Uh, our office is called Nexon M. And mm-hmm. uh, we are only, you know, three, three, four years old over here. So in the last year or so, we started actually bringing our games uh, with, with the help of our parent company to um, the Asian markets. So one of our flagship titles is called Dominations. Um, mm-hmm. And this year we brought that game to China. And that was a big uh, landmark for us. So that, that happened pretty recently. So definitely so the, ha- the flow goes both ways. 
So how do you sort of decide? I mean, they're, they're vastly different markets, certainly China um, and, and, and Asia in, generally, in general. How do you decide what's a viable play um, for, for kind of transferring either one, one way or the other or releasing in, in one market or the other? It's a good question. So again, like soft launching is your friend in this equation, but it's, mm -hmm. it's a little different math um, once the game already exists. So right. one thing that we see a lot with the titles made by our parent company is there are these big, beautiful um, called uh, a ARPGs, uh, so mm -hmm. Asian RPGs or um, Asian action RPGs. And they resonate very well with more mass culture in those Asian countries, but they're more of niche products in the West. So we would never build and invest in a game just for the Western market because we know it's gonna appeal to a very small percentage of players over here. Right. But there's math that really works out to say, okay, well, let's localize this game to English. And then when we launch it, we didn't have the development cost, the game was already made. Mm -hmm. So now let's use just some of the traffic sources, uh, like some of the social sources that have really find laser targeting to find just those uh, players that are really interested in these Asian-themed action RPGs. And so our budgets for those games will be much smaller because we're just finding uh, that, that needles in the producers. haystack. Yeah, right. exactly, exactly. Interesting. Um, and, and does the same apply kind of taking a, a US game to um, Korea or, or other Asian markets? In theory, yes. I think we're still newer to doing that part of the business. Um, and in, in a, a big company, a lot of it is uh, getting the, the teams to learn from each other's strategies, uh, to learn like you know what tactics work well for, for the local team, how does the international team take those tactics and translate them to an international audience. So you know, hopefully if we do another podcast next year, I can tell you more about our experiments <laughs> in that realm, but it's all still pretty fresh right now. Right. Um, well, yeah, that's, uh, we'll get that on the books. Do nice. you, uh, my, uh, my last question will be kind of a, a more broad one. And it's kind of just how, how do you think, how do you see the game industry evolving over the next kind of five years? I know five years is a very long time in, in gaming. Um, but if you had to, if you had to hazard a vision, what would it look like? Yeah, I, I don't think that this makes me happy, but I see a lot of consolidation probably happening. I think the dream of like the medium-sized gaming company that makes, you know, one top 50 or top 100 title every two years, like that's that's not sustainable. Um, I think it's more and more uh, a hits-driven business and the wealth is really concentrated. It, it doesn't mean that there's not room for the indie studios and the wild ideas. And I think those probably have more of a place than the medium-sized studios. But I think those small studios are going to be taking the big shots, uh, like the, the wild swings, and or maybe hopefully partnering with uh, someone like us at Nexon that has a portfolio of games, so we can um, produce both these kind of like reliable uh, AAA quality mobile games, but also um, take these swings with these these smaller Wild passion ideas. projects. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And when we have a portfolio of games like ours, we can afford to absorb some of those risks because we mm -hmm. have the the whole the genres of games that we know will do well. We've launched a bunch of similar games. Um, so it, it, it does, it's a little sad to think about that, that middle ground of the self-sustaining medium-sized studio that's maybe 40 or so people um, not being able to stick around. But I think with, as you mentioned, like the the 1% of, of companies like having most of the revenue and resources, 
it's very hard to compete against that unless you um, somehow uh, ally yourselves with them. Interesting. Um, and yes, a little sad. Thank you very much um, for, for sharing that and, and for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Indie or AAA? Indie. IAPs or ads? IAPs. Casual or strategy? Strategy. PC or mobile? Mobile. Free to play or pay to play? Uh, free to play. <laughs> iOS or Android? iOS. Landscape or portrait? Portrait. Unity or native? Unity. 3D or 2D? 2D. Super Mario or Sonic? Mario. AR or VR? AR. Shower or bath? Shower. Thank you.